You are listening to Processing Trauma Out Loud, conversations about trauma and healing from two women who are doing the work. My name is Jeremiah Jones, and I am the producer of this podcast. Today's podcast comes with a trigger warning, as Cher reads one of her stories of trauma as a young nine-year-old girl. This story was first shared two years ago in a small group of women who began giving Cher the care she always needed and deserved. Today, Cher is going public and explains why. Listen in as Candace brings more care to that precious nine-year-old girl in a story that should have never been. Hi, Cher. Hey, Candace. Good morning. Good morning to you, too. We're just going to jump in today, as we mentioned on our last episode, that you're going to share one of your stories of harm with our listeners today. Yeah. How are you feeling about that? Yeah, I feel good about it. I feel uh, like my heart is is ready and I feel very present. And yeah, I don't feel dysregulated or apprehensive because we're doing this only with intention. The, the, the desire to talk through a story of harm in a way that can give our listeners a new avenue, perhaps a, a, a possibility of how they also might be able to move toward their stories of harm. This is a story that you have shared several times in our Pearl story group, our sisters, and you have received quite a bit of care around the story. Yes. But every time we share a story, we, we really take it seriously and we want fresh ears and fresh eyes to continue to engage where there is care that's still needed. Right. Especially in those stories of deep harm, right? And this is a story uh, of deep harm. And um, we, we want to give our listeners the kind of the heads up trigger warning, if, if you will, that this story does contain elements of violence and physical abuse and emotional abuse, sexual abuse, but carefully presented, you know, we're not wanting to get too graphic or, or try to do something that will be harmful to our listeners. But we also are aware that as people listen, they may feel some dysregulation in their body. And we really want to give permission that, you know, if our listeners need to stop or pause or do something to, to bring their own body back into the present, back into the room, so to speak. We want them to take good care of themselves as they listen to this story too. Yes. I love that you are naming that because we do want even to give permission. Like if, if you're not able to even listen, it's okay. And we come back later if, if that is something that you would like to do. I also right. want to say just ask our listeners to understand that you doing this publicly is a big deal. And it's something that you took time to be ready for. And I honor you and I respect your courage to do this. And I do want to ask our listeners, even though they don't personally know you, to hold your story with honor and to hold you with honor. These are not easy things to do, but We've actually had some great conversations about why we're doing this. And I wonder if you want to even bring a little insight into why we're even doing this. And, and thank you for that, Candice. It's always hard to share. And as I've said before, I've been working on my healing journey for 30 years. This is my first time to bring one of my stories of harm into a public place. And I have 
made this decision very carefully and only because I, I believe that my healing has brought me to the place where I can, but also that I know that I am called and, and we are called to bind the wounds of the brokenhearted and set the captives free. Like that is why we're doing this podcast. That is why we work with the people that we work with who are experiencing trauma. Like we know that the call on our life is to walk alongside of others in their stories of harm so that they can find healing and freedom as well. And that is really the single purpose of why I'm doing this today. There's no element of desiring for revenge or or anything like that. It's it's not about that. It is only about bringing something that we can mm-hmm. to others who are stuck in their stories of trauma and and to present a, an avenue, a way that they might begin to move toward their own stories. And I want to mention that you and I both have story coaches, uh, compassionate, wise guides who have stayed with us and walked with us for several years in our stories. And they went before us. They did this work too, and have been able to hold our stories as their own stories have experienced healing. Exactly. Yeah. So we're, we're wrapped up in care as we do this. It's not flippant. It's not a, you know, knee jerk reaction to something, you know, that's happened. It's, it's with purpose and intent and, and, and great care that, that we bring this today. And with that, how are you feeling about going ahead and reading your story today? Yeah. And I, I think I will just say that you know, in the way that we have done story group is we, we write out our stories and my story today is about 700 words. So it will take three or four minutes for me to actually read the story. And then after I read it, then Candace and I will just talk about different elements in the story for a few minutes, but I will be reading the story that I have prepared. So yeah, I feel ready. This is called my very good, very bad day. Now that the hay is all baled and stacked in the barn, dad sends my brother, my brother's friend, and me out to the field to bring in the last two tractors. We are almost finished getting the equipment stored away. Maybe we will get to go to the swimming hole tonight. Celebration is in the air after four long days of bringing in the hay. Competitive as always, my brother says, let's race. We'll give you a head start. He is only a year older, age 10, and though he always comes in first, somehow I believe I can win. I run across the field of haste double headed straight for the tractor. Nothing is better than the sweet smell of dried alfalfa when the job is completed. It is a good day. Yes, a very good day. I look back and see that I am way ahead of the boys. I jump onto the little Ford tractor, start her up, and head for home. The sky is blue. The hay is in. I can almost feel the cool water of the river already. I drive across the field and make a left onto the gravel road. I zip down the road, and as I turn into the yard, I see him storm out of the house in a rage, his arms flying in huge gestures and his mouth bellowing commands about where to park. My joy instantly melts and my heart falls to the ground beneath the tractor wheels. What have I done? I learned long ago to be watchful, careful, to not do something stupid, 
vigilant to not make dad mad. What have I done? I want to, I need to fragment into a million little pieces and disappear. My skinny little body is tense and stressed to the max. Confused and petrified, I turn the key to silence the motor while terror screams in my head. I know he will punish me. Punishment to teach me to never make the same mistake again. Punishment that is a step-by-step infliction of pain and shame that shreds body and soul. He barrels over to me, grips my arm, and rips me off the tractor, banging my knee into the shift lever. He grabs my shirt and puts his red, livid face into my face and convinces me again what a good-for-nothing goddamn girl I am. Profanity, filled spit, flies from his distorted, ranting mouth. It's not enough yet. He yanks my shorts down to my ankles, throws me over his knee, and begins beating me. It's not enough yet. He stands me in front of him, his muscular arms smashing into my head. A massive wave of humiliation crashes over me as my brother and his friend pull their tractor up near to us and see my nakedness. By now, I have left my body, dissociated, numb. I am standing above and behind myself watching the scene. I am a ragdoll flying left, right, left with the blows. Yet the single thing that my eyes focus on is mom standing behind his right shoulder. She is shouting, stop, stop, stop. Her hands cover her face. I wonder why she has her hands over her face. It seems so odd. She sees. She is ignored, powerless. Yet, as I watch, I have hope that she will grab his arm and stop him. In my mind, I urge her to move forward one step, reach out, grab his arm, and stop him before he beats the life out of me. But she doesn't move. I learned long ago that she does not fight for me. Finally, he stops. He looks over to my brother yells at him, then turns and stomps into the barn. Finally, it is enough. Somehow I pull my shorts back on and walk across the yard to the house and upstairs to my back bedroom. I climb into bed, pull the covers up and curl into a tight ball. I am fading away. I am crumbling into a million tiny pieces. I feel so tired. Something in me truly just wants to let go and vanish. I don't cry. I learned long ago not to cry. I am not sad or mad. I am just numb. I feel angry. I feel angry again. I see that little girl who had no one to come rescue her. Yeah. What was that like to notice that you could have been rescued, but you weren't? What was that like for her? I think in many ways, it's the hardest part of the story for me. Just that little paragraph kind of toward the end of the recognition that the only adult in my world who could have offered me some 
sense of protection or safety. Mm-hmm. Like I chose not to. Mm-hmm. Because I'm seeing, I'm seeing you see your mom. You hear words coming out of her mouth. Stop, stop. You see her covering her face. Yeah. And just wondering what that was like, like if there's some more words, because it feels so confusing to me. You know, it's interesting that I always have believed that my mom was powerless and that my mom was, and she was victimized by my dad too. And I think I always have, my rule as a child was to protect her. And so it's, it's very, very hard for me to feel anger toward her. And I, I can't say that I feel anger right now, but I think I just feel such a sense of deep desire that in that moment, she could have made a huge difference. And, and, and she didn't, you know, she protected herself. I, I'm not sure. I, I can't even say, I don't know what drove her, but I know that she did not step forward mm-hmm. to protect me, to, to rescue me. There was no rescue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if maybe the emotion, I guess I'm just curious about the emotion that you are feeling. Yeah, I think I'm just feeling a lot of sadness for the the little girl, right? That little girl. I recently drew a picture of of this scene and as I drew the picture, you know, I I accentuated my dad's largeness and mm-hmm. I accentuated my smallness. And mm-hmm. I think um, I'm just I'm just imagining that little child, me, you know, my, my little girl mm-hmm. <laughs> at such a young age and experiencing such brutality from an adult man who was a very strong man, very strong man. Yeah. I, the word that's coming to me, even I'm just curious, how are you feeling safe right now in your body or have you kind of gone back to Maybe the emotion associated with what it feels like to know you're not safe. I I, I do feel safe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't. It's not that I feel unsafe. I feel just, I think, sad, really. Just sad for being stuck in that place and nobody to help. Mm-hmm. Well, and it it can be hard to feel sad. It can It can feel like it would be easier to just move on. But we know that it, it's actually a good thing that you're able to see her and feel sad for her. Yeah. I mean, I it's taken me decades to be able to access the grief, you know, or the tears for, you know, what happened to me as a child. I I end the story with the words, I I feel numb. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what I felt as I through all these years, as I remembered my childhood and remembered any of these incidents, it was I had such a feeling of being disconnected and, and being just numb, like I couldn't feel anything. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, I, I can celebrate the tears today. Really, I can. It's um, it's good to feel sad for what happened on that day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because before we feel sad, you know, before you were able to feel sad, there was some work you had to do. And, you know, I, I want to, I feel like I want to bring out this point that in those moments as that helpless, powerless child, there's messages that you're receiving 
about why those things are happening. Yeah. And we don't typically think it's the other person's fault. Oh yeah. I, I carried blame Mm -hmm. all through the years. I, I think really until the first time I shared this story with our story group and saw the outrage of others, right? I, until that moment, I believed that I had done something wrong and I, I still don't know really what I did. I think, I think he must have perceived that I was driving too fast and, and I, and I probably was, but I carried the blame all through the years. And when I shared the story and I saw the outrage on the faces of the women in our group, I, I was really taken aback, surprised by the anger and the tenderness that was offered to me, you know, that really got me started to get me in touch with that nine-year-old little girl who just was desperate. Mm-hmm. When I heard the story for the first time, I, I want to even say I experienced rage in my body. I, I was very present with you. I saw the scene. I saw you. And, you know, I, I was kind of even shocked about how much anger I felt over it. Yeah. But it was something that absolutely needed some good anger over. Yeah. And so impacting for me to, to see, you know, some people had tears in their eyes. Some people were outraged. Yes. For me to see that it had a big impact in my brain Mm -hmm. and in my body that hmm, maybe, maybe this isn't what I all, what I have always thought it was Mm -hmm. right. That I did something wrong and yeah, my dad overreacted, but it was my fault. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you did, if you were driving too fast, okay, let's just say that that's what instigated him. Yeah. He still did not deserve that little girl did not deserve the beating she got that day. Right. Not only the beating and there's a part of your story oh, that I'm starting to feel emotional about. It is the word humiliation. Yeah. People were watching this. Yeah. It wasn't just you and dad in a bedroom. Yeah. It was people were witnessing you being naked. Yeah. And I think that shame, I did feel deep shame. And I think, and I did not share this story for 50 some years. I did not share this story because I felt so ashamed of the humiliation of that moment. Yeah. And it, of course, as an adult, now I can look back on that and I can, I can look at it through adult eyes, but for, for me at that age and at that place in my life to be exposed Mm -hmm. to the world in that way. Yeah. Deep, deep humiliation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think even my my mother's heart that just is kind of rising up in this moment. Like, I just want to cover you. I want to rescue you out of that. I want to, I, I actually want to risk my own beating mm. to come get you. Mm. Because that story is trauma. But if you would have just had one person at that time that saw you, attuned to you, soothed you, brought you into some safety and provided some security. I'm I'm just curious. I'm I wonder what that could have maybe done for you in the years ahead. Like what yeah. what different message would have come out of that? 
Hard to know, right? But I will say that even as you say these words today, I felt literally in my body as you were talking, I felt calm. Mm-hmm. I I took a deep breath. I was able to breathe. I felt a sense of soothing come over my body, really, as you spoke those words. So I, it's hard for me even to imagine, right? Had had I received care after this event, which I, I received no care after this event, had I received some care, it could have radically changed my life. What's coming to my mind, and you've shared this on previous episodes, is one of your core wounds or those that strong message that you can receive is that you are worthy to be loved. We can't hear this story without having great awareness. Of course, you would struggle with believing that. That place where you are all alone, that little girl would have had to wrestle with and she, she wouldn't have had these words, but why wasn't I worthy to be cared for and protected in that moment? Yeah. And I think what I did determine at that moment was, I think I knew already, as I said, in the story, I I knew already that my mom would not fight for me, Mm -hmm. but I think what I concluded as a result of this story is that I am on my own. Like Mm -hmm. no one will be here to save me. And I am on my own and I have to figure out how to do this life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which would have stayed with you throughout those coming years. And even into adulthood, it it would be your coping skill that you developed to be able to survive. And looking, always looking for love, you know, like I was an avid seeker (laughs) of love. I, I wanted to find somebody who could love me, but You know, and I think now as I look back, I can recognize people who did love me, but I had so many walls. I had so much resistance up that I, I never could believe that it was genuine Mm -hmm. and I couldn't let it, I couldn't risk letting it reach um, the deepest places, right? Of my, so I couldn't risk anybody seeing Mm -hmm. all of the ugly that I believed was true about me. Yeah, because we're talking about developmental trauma. We're talking about this isn't an isolated incident. I, I do think sometimes, I mean, if it's okay, I'm going to go into a little bit of explanation. Yeah. Are you? Is that okay for you? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, you know, we may hear a story and we may think, oh well, yeah, everybody has something that happens to them, and we just need to move on. You know, yeah, it happened. It's in the past, but when we have developmental trauma, when we have complex trauma, because the people who were supposed to love and care for us, see us, soothe us, keep us safe, keep us secure, happen over the period of our childhood. It affects the development of who we are, who we were created to be, our personality, how we respond to stress, what we do with stress. And you, you had that throughout your, your childhood. I'm so thankful that we have found people in a space to not feel alone in this because, you know, there's a period of time that you, you begin to think, man, I am fundamentally flawed. Something's wrong with me. And there's nothing wrong with you. It was what was done against you. 
Yeah. But if your own parents, you know, and this is the story of so many of us, right? Like our own one or both of our parents fail us. If one or both of our parents fail us or harm us, how, how could we possibly be lovable? Because there's no repair. And I, I do want to just say it is not that we can't heal and recover when our parents hurt us. But when there's no repair, when there's no acknowledgement, when there's no understanding of, yeah, my parents are human, they make mistakes, but they come for me, they see me when they've hurt me, and they they want to make it right as best as they can. That helps things move through our body where we don't get stuck in those messages and those right. body sensations. Yeah. So we're not saying that all these things have to keep us stuck in those young places. But when it's never acknowledged and it happens continually, I mean, we know now, even if I want to just say, there's a resource called the body keeps the score. You know, if, if you pick that book up and read it, it, it will give you some understanding of why we're even doing what we're doing. Right. Exactly. And also that there's been a lot of research now that that shows that parents don't have to be perfect. They don't even have to be great. Mm-hmm. They can just be good enough. Like a good enough parent, you know, is able to help their children grow into freedom, into life, into love. We're not at all saying parents have to be perfect. I mean, you are a parent and I am a parent and we know <laughs> we have not been perfect. But what you're saying is so true that when we recognize that we have harmed our, do we go, do we go and, and seek to make repair? Like this is the thing that is so important. Well, and I'm thankful that we, you and I have both done a little bit of that with our adult children and it's been well-received. I mean, kids, kids don't want to feel anger and resentment towards their parents. They, they want things to be right. But if a parent can't acknowledge or receive the truth of what we experience, there can be no true reconciliation. Yeah. Even in adulthood, it's, mm-hmm. it's, yeah, it, it, it requires that kindness, mm-hmm. uh, repentance, which, which really is, is turning from, you know, it's admitting something and turning from Without that, yeah, it's it's really hard to establish any level of reconciliation or closeness or or healing in the relationship. Yeah. I want to thank you for sharing your story again today, but even more that you've done that publicly for the purpose of giving our listeners maybe some understanding and some hope that when we bring these stories of childhood harm into the light. What we're doing is we are allowing other people to give voice to the particularities of our stories, because before then, we only hear our voice, right? And I, I've said this before, and I'll say it again, only hearing my voice and interpreting my own stories has not been good for me. But even into adulthood, right? We, we tend to, I have tended to be hard on my little girl, harsh, even with her and angry, like why didn't, why didn't she get herself out of there? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and so, you know, it's hard. It's very hard for us to look at our stories of childhood harm from the perspective of the wounded child. Yes. We, we tend to 
we tend to see ourselves as the wounded child, but we, we see ourselves through eyes of harshness or judgment or criticism because that little girl made life really hard for me. Mm-hmm. If she would have just figured out how to get herself out of there, we would have been okay. Right. You know, which now I recognize, you know, of course a child cannot rescue themselves, mm-hmm. but I put that burden on my little girl, you know, my, my inner self for a long, long time. And mm-hmm. as I have been able now to be gentle and tender and kind and loving, like the healing just mm-hmm. is happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Going back into those stories, it's not just a logical thing or something that we're doing with our prefrontal cortex, where we're trying to figure things out. We actually begin to experience those sensations in our body that needed attunement and care at the time, but can, can get that attunement and care now. In our next episode, we will go ahead and keep unpacking your story. There's so many elements here and we aren't able to get to all of it in one episode, but we are going to go back and share more with our listeners, some aspects to your story and maybe, you know, even the idea of what fragmentation is that we can look at. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Yeah. And I, as we close, I wanted to say to our listeners that again, as we said in the beginning, this podcast episode was done with the intent of sharing my story of harm so that we can exemplify and model, not that we were role-playing or acting because we weren't, Mm -hmm. but to bring a story that is very real and to process it in a way that shows a different way, perhaps that people can move through their own stories of trauma so that they can receive the healing. And in episodes three and four, we talked about the four S's being seen, being soothed, being safe, being secure. And that's what you provided for me today. Like I felt seen, I felt soothed, I felt safe, I felt secure as we moved through this process. And like, I feel like lighter now. I feel like I can breathe better. And um, yeah, so another, another good layer in in my um, healing process of this story. So Candace, thank you to our listeners. Thank you for hearing and for caring well for my story too. Good to be with you in your story today. It, it's always an honor to get to be with you and to keep just loving on that little girl and give her the care that she was always worthy of. Yeah. Mm, thank you. Thank you for listening to Processing Trauma Out Loud. Make sure to check out the show notes for links to suggested resources and social media. Like, subscribe, and follow to keep up with our weekly content. And if you don't mind, take a moment to rate and review us. Your feedback is extremely valuable and contributes to the success of this podcast. Our sound engineer is Jeremiah Jones of Story LLC. We welcome you to join us for more conversations soon. Take care.